to do. But it's good to be with you uh, tonight, and thank you for your fellowship, your friendship, and thank you for your hospitality. We appreciate it. That's been great. We've enjoyed our time with you, and I'd like you to turn in your Bible, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1. So yeah, I'll go home and I'll talk about just always do. Yeah, so it's great to go back and share the uh, folks up there, ask, you know, what are the people like down there? Oh, I say, probably think we're a little bit strange up here in the north, but yeah, they're lovely people. But yeah, Deuteronomy chapter 1, if you look at verse 40 with me, Deuteronomy 1 verse 40. But as for you, turn you and take your journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Then ye answered and said unto me, We have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight according to all that the Lord our God commanded us. And uh, when he had girded on every man his weapons of war, ye were ready to go up the hill. And the Lord said unto, unto me, Say unto them, Go not up, neither fight, for I am not amongst you. Ye shall be smitten before your enemies. It's interesting here how the children of Israel... When the spies came back, ten people turned the nation against God or turned one generation against God. And so when God said, well, that's it. All of you guys from the age of 20 and above, you won't get to go into the land of Canaan. You'll wander in this wilderness for 40 years. Uh, one uh, year for every day that the spies are away and uh, your children will get to inherit what you were supposed to get. Of course, it'll be 40 years before they do that. But you know what they said? Well, we're gonna, we'll, 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 we've sinned. Let's go up and fight. You know, let's. They wanted to go back to Egypt, and God said, "No, you're not going back to Egypt." They said, "Well, let's go up and take these people on." God said, "No, I wouldn't do that either because I'm not with you. I've told you what the sentence is, and you're gonna have to put up with that." But they said, "Oh no, we're sorry. You know, uh, we have sinned." It says in verse 41, God said, "If you go up, I'm not going to be with you." And so they didn't. Um, Listen to the Lord. Verse 43, So I spake unto you, and you would not hear, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord and went uh, presumptuously up into the hill. And so we want to just look quickly, if we can, tonight, just at a few examples of presumption. The children of Israel were told, OK, you've sinned against the Lord. God had put up with them for so long. He said, that's it. Now you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and when every one of you first generation are dead, then we can cross the Jordan River, go over into the land of Canaan, and Joshua will be the one to lead the people. And so they said, oh, no, we'll go up and fight. And God said, well, I'm going to be with you. Verse 44, and the Amorites which dwelt in that mountain came out against you and chased you as bees do and destroyed you in Seir, even unto Hormah, and you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord would not hearken to your voice nor give ear unto you. Isn't it amazing how they went up presumptuously? And throughout the Word of God, we find so many illustrations of presumption on the parts of God's people, not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. There are so many illustrations. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 18, if you would, please. Deuteronomy 18, verse 20. But the prophet, which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. God said, I don't want anybody speaking in my name, but they're going to die. We saw that when uh, 
uh, Elijah challenged them there on the uh, mountain. But uh, God said, the prophet which shall presume to speak a word. Read the book of Jeremiah. Love the book of Jeremiah. You talk about God foretelling what's going to happen and spells it out. He's over and over and over. And the people said, we get sick and tired of hearing this. You know, well, Jeremiah said, well, you're not listening. Evidently, you're not, you're not getting it. You're not taking it in. And so as you look at it, they were listening to the false prophets. And God said, you know, they're prophesying in my name. I didn't speak to them. They've conjured all this stuff up themselves. And so presumptuously, Numbers 14. Numbers 14. So presumption is a terrible sin. And throughout the word of God, you see so many that presume. In Numbers chapter 14, if you look down verse 44 with me, it says, But they presumed to go up uh, unto the hilltop, nevertheless the ark of the covenant of the Lord and Moses departed not out of the camp. Boy, I tell you what, presumption is something that gets uh, God's people into a lot of trouble. I think of the, uh, the fact of Samson. Here's a, a man that was... Uh, given to his parents uh, to be a great man of God and let's say God used him in spite of himself the spirit of God came mightily upon him and yet we look at uh, Samson look at the way he was so many times he presumed on God especially when the Philistines came upon him you know and uh, he was messing around and Delilah was trying to get out of him where his strength lie and he, he wouldn't tell her and he'd say, well, if they do this, this is what will happen and they'd come and tie him up with ropes and she'd say, the Philistines be upon me and he was able to snap those ropes like that. But, you know, it came that time where he gave away the secret of his power and strength and she uh, had men come in and cut off the locks of his hair. And then, of course, what happened, if you look there in uh, the book of Judges, Samson thought, well, I'll just get up and I'll just take them on and I'll defeat them and I'll... But the power of God was gone. See, he presumed. I've done this before. I'll do it again. See, he thought God was with him, but God wasn't with him. And so uh, we, we see Samson, then he's had his eyes put out. They put him down there in the prison. And that's the blinding of Samson and the grinding of Samson. So Samson presumed on God. And there was a high price to pay for that presumption. It cost him his eyesight and it cost him his life. And he did uh, slay more Philistines uh, the day he died than he did throughout his whole lifetime. But as you look all through the scriptures, we've got people like Nadab and Abihu, we've got people like uh, Korah and his gang presuming on God. Uh, we've got people like the rich man in Luke chapter 12. Just flip over there a minute, please. Luke 12. Luke chapter 12. In the New Testament, Luke chapter 12, this is one character in the New Testament. This is how a lot of people are in this day and age, like this fella in Luke chapter 12. Uh, you look on down at this verse 19 here, Luke 12, 19. He said, I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. See, he thought he was wise, but God said, Thou fool. Verse 20. He thought he was going to live a long time. But God said, this night thy soul should be required of thee. He thought he was going to enjoy all that stuff that he's laid up for many years. And God said, whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? See, here is a man that's in presumption. He's presuming he's going to build a greater barns, he's going to store all this stuff, he's going to live a long time, and he's going to enjoy it. God said, you're going to die tonight. 
and all that stuff that you've stored up, it's not going to get stored up because we won't be here to do it. But if you did, who was going to get it anyway? So presumption. This man in Luke chapter 12, what was that outline we saw many years ago? He thought he was wise, but God said he was a fool. He thought he was going to live a long time, but God said, no, you're going to die tonight. And then God told him, he said, you know what? Somebody else is going to get it. You're not going to get anything, but you're going to go to hell. So the prodigal son, Luke 15, while you're in Luke, here's a young upstart. Boy, I tell you, he's like so many young people today. Luke 15. Certain man had two sons here in Luke 15, an older son and a younger son. And so as you look down here, uh, this young man, he comes to his father so arrogantly. Uh, verse 11, certain man had two sons. Verse 12, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, and he divided unto them his living. I mean, that's pretty presumptuous. You know, I know what I want, and I want it now. Give it to me now. I can't wait till you're dead. I can't, I'm not going to hang around for the will to be read. Just give me my uh, portion now. Well, the dad didn't say, well, get lost, son, come back when I'm dead. <laughs> so the Bible says he divided unto them his living, not just the younger son, but the older son too. So he divided unto, not him, but them. All right? And so what does the young man do? Well, verse 13, not many days hence after the young gathered all. What does that mean? That means everything. He wasn't coming back. <laughs> I've had enough of this, mate. I'm out of here. There's no way I'm coming back here. He took it all uh, together and gathered it all together. And took his journey into a far country. There wasted his substance with riotous living. You talk about presumption. Brother, he had his life all planned out. What he was going to do, he was going to be somebody. He was going to have heaps of friends, lots of finances. And yeah, he was going to impress people. But that didn't uh, turn out the way he wanted, did it? He spent, uh, as verse uh, 14, he spent uh, all. Everything was gone. He's got nothing. So he wasn't real bright, was he? Huh. He's trying to impress people. He lost all of his money. Did he invest any of that? Uh, no. Uh, did he have any set aside? Uh, no. He spent it all. The Bible says he spent it all, trying to impress everybody. Finances are gone, the funds are gone, the friends are gone, the fun's over. And, of course, the famine comes and says down here, there arose a mighty famine in the land and he began to be in want. See, he never knew what want was. Uh, he was quite comfortable at home with uh, Dad and his older brother, the servants, and he knew that they had food enough to eat and he knows that he had that when he was at home, but now he's got nothing. So he joins himself to that citizen in that far country, sent him down into the fields to feed his swine. And he was so hungry in verse 16, he would have fain have filled his belly with the husks which the swine did eat and no man gave unto him. He was told, that's pig food. Don't you dare steal from the pigs. You know, how low can a bloke go? I mean, sometimes God has to bring us to the point where right, we've got to hit rock bottom, and then God says, okay, now I can talk to you, now I can work with you. That's what happened to this young fellow here. You ever heard that outline, brother? He, he dropped the pail, jumped the rail, and hit the trail? He did. Boy, he had a long, hard look at himself, and he, he's down there feeding those pigs, and he was so hungry. He said, you know, what a fool I've been. Now look at those servants back home. They're doing better than me. At least they've got a bed, they've got food. I'll just go home and tell Dad that I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against him. Just give me a job. Don't even call me your son anymore. Don't recognise me as your son. So he had some hard lessons to learn. 
So he went home, he had nothing to, to bring home. He, he left it all and spent it all, and so he went home empty-handed. But he know, as he went back, we know that father was looking for him to come home because he didn't just come in and surprise his dad. Brother, that old man was looking down the road, expecting that boy to return. See, he had some experience. He knows what life's all about. And so he's figuring one day that boy's going to come home. And he did come home. Well, the dad didn't go and grab the shotgun and head down the road and say, get off my property. No. And he didn't wait for him to come. The Bible says the father ran to the son. What a great father he was. What an arrogant son he was. But I tell you what, he come home pretty humble. So he had a lot of presumption, but there was a high price to his presumption. He came home empty. And so we find that they came back to a father that loved him. And we think about Moses, number chapter, uh, Numbers 20. Oh, look, Moses, how would you like to rule over three and a half million Jewish people, bringing them through the wilderness, and all they do is bellyache and whinge and complain and got nothing good to say? And he, Look, you only got to read Psalm 78, Psalm 105, Psalm 106, Acts chapter 7, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, and you can see how that, listen, God was unhappy with them because of the way they were. And so right there, Moses had been used of the Lord to provide for his people. And so it got to that point there right at the very last numbers, chapter 20. God said to Moses, now grab Aaron, gather him together and gather the people together. And uh, he said, this is what I want you to do. They were short of water, needed water. He said, I want you to take your rod with you. They're the rod of God. Take that with you and speak to the rock. And it will give forth its water. Yes. So here in uh, Numbers chapter 20, uh, verse 11, it says, And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice, and the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. In spite of Moses' disobedience, God still provided the water uh, for his people. But then God said to Moses, I need to talk to you and your brother. Come over here. And he told them both that they're not going to go into the promised land. Aaron would die there, and of course Moses would also die, and neither of them would go into the promised land. And so Moses beats me why he did that. I don't know whether he was trying to impress the people, but he was presuming everything's going to be okay. We've done this sort of thing before, but he didn't follow the instructions. See? And how many others are like that that didn't follow instructions and they paid the price for it? Well, Moses was banned from going into the promised land, uh, and so he eventually got there, though, didn't he? Yeah. We see him there on the Mount of Transfiguration with the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. So Moses presumed everything was going to be okay, but everything wasn't okay. And that's the lesson for us, too. We need to make sure we don't presume on God. We think about Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons went down to Moab, and they presumed... Everything's going to be okay. Yeah, tough times here over in uh, Bethlehem, uh, Judah. So I hear good things are happening down in Moab. We'll go on down there and, uh, yeah, tough times. You've got to make tough decisions. So they decided to go down to, to Moab. Boy, I tell you what, there's so much in the Word of God of why they shouldn't have been in Moab. Moab was under the curse of God. And so in those days there was no king in israel and every man did that which was right in his own eyes judges 17 6. 
So they said, that's no, all right. So this was in the time of the judges. So they head on down to Moab, presuming everything's going to be okay. Presumption. I mentioned this on Sunday. Daddy died. The two sons died later on, but they'd married uh, two heathen women. And so uh, Naomi says, well, I'm going home. So I asked the kids in school, brother, uh, when I was teaching on this, I said, so here's a mother and a father. They've gone into a foreign country, different language, different religions. Then all of a sudden, Daddy dies. I said, what would you do if you were the mum with two kids? I'd pack up and go home. <laughs> she didn't do that. So everything's going to be okay. So she stayed, and she stayed. Later on, those boys married two Moabite women, contrary to the scriptures. And then we hear that both of those boys died. After 10 years, they both kicked the bucket and no mum's left on her own. And so she decided to go back home. But you know what? Uh, as you read through this, go to the book of Ruth a moment, please. It's important just to look at these couple of verses here. In verse 5, Marlon and Chilion died also, both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. So she's down there in a foreign country, foreign religion, foreign culture, on her own now. Listen, the Lord had been speaking to her and working on her when they left, while they were there, and uh, after everybody had died. How do we know that? Well, if you look down through this, she'd been witnessing to the girls, evidently. She said to the uh, daughters-in-law, Go, uh, each return to his mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with me and uh, the dead. And with me, the Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them. But as you go down, you know, Ruth is one of those that uh, speaks out and says, well, you know, your God's going to be my God. Your people are going to be my people. I'm going to go back with you and I'm going to dwell with you and nothing but death is going to part us. But, you know, as we uh, look at Naomi goes back to Bethlehem, she takes Ruth along with her, and so as we look down here into the first chapter, it says in verse 13, Would you tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. She said, you know what? God's hand has been against me. And throughout the scripture, you can see where God's hand is against his people and where God's hand is with his people. Listen, I'd rather have the hand of God with me than against me. And so as you look at this here, Ruth clave to her in verse 14. And then, of course, she heads back to Bethlehem. And as she heads back, the birth, verse 19, they too went until they came to Bethlehem, came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem, that the city was moved about them. And they said, is this Naomi? She's been gone a long time. And uh, they said, and, uh, she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. Look at this, verse 24. I went out full, and the Lord brought me home again empty. Why you then call me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me. Now this is the Hong slant on this. I've got a feeling that, and I'm not on feelings either. So I reckon she was saying to her husband, yeah, do you think we ought to go down to Moab? I don't think we ought to go down to Moab. I don't think the Lord's going to be with us if we go down to Moab. I'm only presuming, see, that's a word again. 
that she was saying to her husband, we might be making a mistake going down there. Don't worry about it, honey, it's going to be okay. And then he dies. So we know that uh, she knew that the Lord was dealing with her because she says it here, testifies it here, it's written in black and white. She had the hand of the Lord has been against me. The Lord uh, brought me home empty. I went out full and brought me home empty. Isn't that what happened to the prodigal son? He went out full, but he got brought home empty. He went out with everything, came back with nothing. And so as you look at the scripture, this was the case with so many uh, in the uh, scripture. We've got people like Uzziah the king. What a great king. But I tell you what, he messed up right at the end there. Think about Uzzah. You remember that guy that was uh, out there and uh, they went to go retrieve the ark and bring it back and uh, put it back in the uh, um, tabernacle? That's a story on its own, mate. That's too big to tell about. See, David presumed on that one alone. So we're going to get the ark and bring it back. Yeah, but they didn't do it the way God said. They presumed they'd do it their own way. And Uzzah lost his life on that. And listen, I tell you, look down here with me. 1 Samuel 6.6. 6. And David got mad with God. Yeah. Here we are doing you a favour and you go and kill this fella. That's the way it comes across. See, it was presumption. 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 6. Make sure I've got the right verse written down here because sometimes I write down the wrong verses. Wherefore then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened? Yeah, that, yeah, no, this is the whole story. This is the whole story. So I wanted to try and cut some of this out. So as we look down through this sixth chapter here, we find they go to retrieve this ark and bring it back. And I'll tell you what, there's problems, problems. The uh, men of kirjath Jerem and there's, uh, who else? There's a whole, the men of Beth Shemesh. They handle this ark just like it's, yeah. They're so commonplace. They're so familiar with it, and that's a dangerous thing. Firstly, we look at uh, 1, Samuel, 1 Samuel 6, verse 19. The men of Bethshemesh should have known better. So as you look down here in verse 19, he smote the men of Bethshemesh because they had looked into the ark of the, uh, the Lord. He, uh, even he smote the people, 50,000, threescore and ten men, and the people lamented because the Lord had smitten many of the people with a great slaughter. I mean, the ark is coming back. And the men of Bethshemesh said, oh, let's have a look in here. We usually don't get to look in this. And so they opened it up. They shouldn't have even touched it, let alone look in it. And what happened there? Presumption. See, they thought everything's going to be okay. We'll just lift the lid and have a look in there. What happened? The Lord smote uh, 50,000, threescore and ten men, and the people lamented because the Lord has smitten many of the people with a very great slaughter. So they paid the price for looking in there. And Uzzah, you know, when they came to remove that from uh, the house of Abinadab, and they carried it across, uh, the oxen uh, shook the cart, and Uzzah went out and grabbed that ark, and God struck him dead, just like that. He presumed, well, it's going to be okay, just grab this. But David was unhappy with the Lord about that, and so David went back, and he was... Uh, how are we going to bring this thing back? David was saying, how are we going to bring this thing back after Uzzah was struck dead? So David was unhappy. But three months later, David searched through the scriptures and he found out how it was supposed to be brought back. There was a way to do it. 
It was all spelled out that the Levites had to be involved, the poles had to be involved, the covering had to be involved. It wasn't to be carried back by uh, oxen on a cart. It was supposed to be brought back by the Levites. Well, eventually they got it back, but David was unhappy with God, so he presumed, and it cost one man his life. But that's not the end of the story. David did that a number of times, and David presumed a lot on the Lord. And boy, I tell you what, what consequences were involved in that. Who else have we got here? What, how long have we been going? Okay, let's have a look. I love this fellow here, Esther chapter 6. Esther chapter 6. My favourite uh, bad guy in the scriptures, I love to pick on him, his name is Haman. Oh, mate, what a, what a, what a class act, Haman. What a piece of work he is. You talk about conspiracies, mate. The Bible's full of conspiracies. Did you know that? Too right. Look how they conspired against Jesus, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and uh, Judas Iscariot. And you look at the conspiracies here in the, uh, the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah and you get to Esther and there's more conspiracies there. And I'm talking about biblical conspiracies, how the enemies of God are out there working against God's people, trying to stop the work of God in the building of the temple, the rebuilding of the wall. And then, of course, we look over here in the book of Esther. Boy, I tell you, what a great book. You know, here's something you've got to watch out about scholars. Scholars will say, you know, the book of Esther is not inspired because God's not even mentioned in the book of Esther. Have you read that, Brother J Jackal? Jackal? Jackal. That's <laughs> Brother Jackal. So, you will have these guys. I, I picked up a commentary one time, and this great scholar said, you know, the book of Esther's not really inspired of God because God's not even mentioned in there, and prayer's not even mentioned in there. Hey, you could see God, the invisible God, in the book of Esther. Moses endured a seeing him who is invisible, you read the book of Esther, you can see things getting moved around and put into place, and who's doing it? It's God. And so you know that there's a God that people cannot see, but you can see how he works here. And so here's this guy called Mordecai. What a great man he is, a great Jewish man. He saves the king from getting assassinated. And so, uh, and there's this guy that hates him because every time Haman rides past, Mordecai doesn't recognize him, doesn't uh, acknowledge him, and he hates that. He wants people to bow down and kiss his foot and all that sort of stuff. But Mordecai wouldn't do that. So he had such a bitterness and a hatred and a resentment against Mordecai. He said, you know what, I'm going to plot and plan and scheme to destroy this fella and all of his people. Woe be unto those who plan and plot and scheme to destroy God's people. They're going to be in big trouble. And so as we read through here, uh, Esther, she hears about it and of course uh, she goes talks to Mordecai about it and Mordecai said, well you need to do something about it, you're the one that's in the place to do this and she said, alright, this, this may be the time and I'll do something but she said, if I perish, I perish so she waited too, she had a counterplot for Haman so while Haman's out there plotting and planning and scheming and building a great gallows 75 feet high in his backyard. Now, people probably say, I wonder what that's for. Yes. He was not uh, being secretive about it. Look here in Esther chapter 6, verse 4. You talk about presumption. This fellow was so full of presumption. You know, he was in love with himself. He just loved himself. Thought there was nobody like him. 
Look in uh, Esther chapter 6, verse 4. And the king said, Who is in the court? <laughs> now Haman uh, was come into the outward court of the king's house to speak unto the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. See, the king has read that there's somebody who has spared his life or uh, exposed a plot to assassinate the king. And it was Mordecai. And so the king says, has this man been rewarded for saving my life? And they said, well, no. Well, we need to do something about that, the king said. And so who's, who's out the front door? Good old Haman says, well, who's in the palace? And they said, well, Haman's here. Well, send him in. So if you look here in verse uh, 6, So Haman came in, and the king said unto him, What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honour? Now Haman thought in his heart, To whom would the king delight to do honour more than to myself? <laughs> you talk about presumption, mate. He loved himself. <laughs> well, I better really make this look good. I mean, if he's going to honour this person, which is me, I'm going to make sure he goes out in a big way and does it in a big way. And so he said, well, I think, you know, this is what you ought to do. If you're going to uh, reward and honour somebody, you oh, let him be, let the royal apparel, verse 8, be brought, which the king useth to wear, and the horse that the king rideth upon, and the crown royal which is set upon his head, and let this apparel... <laughs> Let this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes. That's actually Haman. That they may array the man with all whom the king delighted to honour and bring him on horseback through the street of the city and proclaim before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighted to honour. I just love those verses. <laughs> we think about Haman, he said, man, he's talking about me. No, he wasn't. He's thinking, boy, I'm really going to you know, play this up really good. But you know what? And listen, Haman was honoured by the king. He was put into a place of honour. So he thought, the king really likes me. Verse 10. Then the king said to Haman, make haste and take the apparel and the horse, as thou said, and do even so to Mordecai the Jew that sitteth in the king, at the king's gate. Let nothing fail of all that thou hast spoken. You made up the story, you go fulfil it. <laughs> so you talk about embarrassment. That's called presumption. He thought, the king really likes me, I'll tell. But I tell you what, it came back to bite him because you know what? God was working behind the scenes and people knew about this gallows. And uh, it would come back to bite him because uh, he hated to do what the king had given him to do, but he had to do it to save face. He couldn't go back on that. But, you know, look at uh, Esther, uh, Esther chapter 7, verse 9. Presumption. And I'll quit with this one. And Harbona, one of the... That's verse 9. Chapter 7, verse 9. Harbona, one of the chamberlains, said before the king... Behold also the gallows 50 cubits high, that's 75 feet high. For those of you that don't know how that, that's 75 feet high. Which Haman, that's 25 metres, is that right? 25 metres high. So I grew up with both this, imperial and metric. That created a generation gap. Did you realise that? It did. Kids come home and said, 
oh man, we've got a new type of math. You know, can you help me? Uh, how, many, how many cents in a dollar? Uh, I don't know. I can tell you how many pennies in a, in a pound and how many pennies in 10 shillings. Do you remember that? Yes. Then the metric system came. Not only the dollars and cents, but the metric system had divided us. Well, that's getting away from the story here. But anyway, he says, Look, you know, there's a gallows out there that Haman has set up, and it says down here, he made it for Mordecai in verse 9, who had spoken good for the king. He said, you know what? He set that thing up out there to uh, hang the guy who saved your life. And it says, uh, he standeth in the house of Haman. The king said, hang him thereon. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he made for Mordecai. Then was the king's wrath pacified. Presumption. He paid the price for his presumption, mate. Pride and arrogance. And he got the gallows that he made for somebody else. He that rolleth a stone is going to roll back on him. He that diggeth a pit is going to fall therein. He that soweth shall reap. So Haman reaped what he had sown. All that bitterness and hatred and arrogance that he had and that presumption, it was going to turn around and bite him. And so we thank God for that. Incidentally, God gave all property of Haman to the Jews. Not only that, the king came along and says, you not only got the property that belongs to Haman now, here's the story. You've got to sit down and write this letter out and send it out. Uh, when this date comes up for the execution of the Jews... We can't reverse that, so what we're going to do is give you a new law. You have the right to defend yourself. Is that true? So right here in the book of Esther, the right for Israel to defend himself is found right there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that we see the invisible God in the book of Esther and we think of the greatness of yourself, Lord, and how you've intervened through time and history and we pray, Lord, as you do that once again and show them, Lord, as you did in the 67 war and the 73 war and all these wars, Lord, that you're the one that protects these people. And I pray, Lord, you just help us to realise that presumption is going to get us into trouble. We see it in the life of Samson and Moses and we see it in the life of Haman and Saul and uh, David. There's so many, Lord, and I pray that we would uh, read the scripture for what it says and it says, whatsoever things are written to them, were written for our learning. So ask Lord you bless now the remainder of the service in Jesus' name. Amen.